and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's well in this brand new year. New year, new me. Same podcast. How are we doing, guys? Matt Guy here. <laughs> Another year. We're still here. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume you all had a good Christmas and New Year, gents. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Full of merriment and lockdown hangover. Literally no different for me to... When was the last time you actually went out on New Year, anyway? It's got to be over 10 years ago. I've... It's just a waste of time and money. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's amateur, right? There's, there's people who, th- who go out. It's like Christmas Eve. They're the ones who only go out because it's you have to do it on Christmas Eve. And like in Mad Friday, which obviously no one went out this time either because everyone's in Tier 3. Um, but yeah, I think we used to go around Dean's house and that, that was that for them five years were great. House party on New Year's Eve, and it's in your house, so you got to clean up. <laughs> I think yeah, that's... I go on, Sasha. No, so that was where I, the uh, infamous time when I I was that smashed. I, I slept on seven pairs of shoes. <laughs> woke up to um, Doctor Doolittle on telly, and me saying, "Oh, that's a push me pull you." As the first actual words of the New Year. <laughs> Incredible. Have we got our uh, New Year's resolutions this year? Do we even bother doing New Year's resolutions? Because they never really stick, do they, to be honest? They don't. But, you know, the same the same standard ones always creep in. I want to get fit, want to get healthy, want to do this, want to do that. I want to be, uh, you know, I want to watch a lot more. I want to veer out of my comfort zone in what I watch. So I might have to start with the occasional musical that you guys recommend to me or like a rom-com here or a rom-com there you know to try and like get me out of my comfort zone we're gonna get him on board Stu. he'll be a full full full-edged hamilton fan by the end of 2021 yeah when he's got the uh, (laughs) when he's got the soundtrack on his permanent playlist every day oh good grief yeah but the last time i made a new year's resolution it was to watch one film every other day (laughs) and that was the year i ended up watching like 430 films christ (laughs) Yeah, you, I went a little bit OTT that year. But you watch a film every other day anyway, just for the sake, just for fun. I wasn't at that point, and it was a new film, so I couldn't just. If I'd Ooh. seen something before, it didn't count. It had to be a new film every other day. Oh, so cool. that that was the challenge, and yeah, like I say, four hundred films later. Jesus. <clears throat> mm. I mean, By the end, I wasn't even enjoying it. It was just purely about getting the numbers in. Like when you did that Oscars thing as well. Oh, I do that every year anyway. That's just standard. Just torture. Just sheer torture. I, I love it. I, no, because generally they're good films. There's only every now and again you get some absolute dog shit like The Green Book. <laughs> a fucking awful film. Or Crash, and not the sexy Crash, the other Crash. Oh, dear. Even the fish one, the fish one was good. The fish one? Yeah, the fish monster one. Oh! Colour of, um, Colour of Water. Yeah. That was class. It's Guillermo del Toro, though, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, I enjoyed that. But yeah, we're not here to talk about previous years. No, we are are here to talk about previous years. We're here to talk about last year, actually. (laughs) We're going to be giving our top five of 2020. The year in and of itself was an absolute shit show, but thankfully we did get some decent TV and film to help us through. 
I think if nothing else, 2020 is going to go down as the year that every man and his dog turned to Netflix to help them through a very tough time. So as is the way we'll be doing our countdowns, it'll be five to one of all our favourite things 2020. We went back and forth on the rules on this. We didn't know if it was just going to be new in 2020 or new to you in 2020. We settled on it being just new as of the 1st of January 2020. But because there was so much to watch, we're going to start things off with some of our wild cards, which is a film and a TV series which was made prior to 2020, but which we only watched for the first time in the past 12 months. Stu, do you want to kick us off with your wild card? So my fil- wild card film-wise is one... Um, it's pretty shameful, really, because I, I'm <laughs> presuming the vast majority, vast majority of people have seen it anyway, but it was kind of inspired by, like Matt's already hinted at, one of the uh, greatest films of the year already, Hamilton. That's the, the Patriot. Never, um, never watched it at the cinema. Never watched it on video. Never watched it on anything at all. And I thought, well, American Revolution. And yeah, I know, I know bits about it, and it's not obviously not covered here because we lost. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well done, Todd. That's one for you. Um, but yeah, I just I really enjoyed it, and it's a bit, it's a bit slow in parts. <laughs> That's probably putting it lightly, but now I. It was one of the one of the rare times where I know you don't particularly like Mel Gibson, Andy. <laughs> it's like you're making your blood boil there. I mean, you you probably jumped for joy when he was crucified, didn't you? Sicko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a film about seventeen seventy seven or whatever it was. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it before. I've not seen it. <gasps> what? I know, shock. <laughs> I remember when it was out, but it, it never really grabbed me. Have you seen that one, Matt? No, no, I haven't, no. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> this this rarely happens when I've seen something, that, something, well, something sensible that you haven't. Yeah, it is a rarity. <laughs> uh, what's your TV series wildcard, then, Stu? I'm trying to think, because I, I watched a lot of it... Um, when it comes out, so I, I've kind of I've mentioned it briefly before, but the haunting of Hill House from last year, from mm. 2019, and again, I only watch it because Raul Cooley was in the second series, so it's kind yeah. of like, yeah, okay, I need to get on board with this, and stunning, absolutely stunning, it, it genuinely be genuinely scary as well, which TV shows don't really get that well. I mean, it, no, no, I agree. When like super. Uh, Give it its weekly mention for Supernatural, and they even promoted that as was it scary? Scary is the new sexy or something like that on when it was on ITV two. Whereas mm. the Haunting of Hill House, and we haven't got to the second one yet, but that what the first one, absolutely loved it. And again, shamefully should have been on board from the start. <laughs> Matt, what are your wild cards? So film wise. Um... It was, I'd only watched it on my brother's recommendation. Now, my brother um, isn't a film kind of guy at all, really. Um, but he recommended uh, a, like a sci-fi horror film called Life. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. Ryan Reynolds makes a fleeting, um, has a fleeting part in it. It's kind of a international space station Oh find, yeah, yeah. Finds evidence of, uh, of 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 life, and it escalates there into more of a horror element. Now I'm a sucker for science fiction horror, 
and I couldn't believe I hadn't seen this and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was really, um, really nicely done, but it kind of got panned by the critics, really. It kind of got kind of sixes, high sixes, you know, 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, 54 Metacritic. But I really enjoyed it and I can't believe I hadn't seen it at that point already. So that would have been a film in 2020 that I'd, that I'd kind of slept on that I really enjoyed. It's um, a, a date film that was. A date film? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've mentioned before our obsession with like end of the world stuff and weird yeah, yeah. things like that. So mm. again, and Ryan Reynolds, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> who doesn't, especially in Wales. But yeah, it's great, great choice. Yeah, really good film, really good. Mm. And what have you got for your TV show? So I can't believe I slept on this really because because it's now on Channel Four. They're pumping it out like no tomorrow. Um, I've never watched Taskmaster. Oh, yeah. what a fucking Middle show! Which actually, now of watching it back, it it it, I think when I used to watch, I don't watch a lot of TV really, except this year I have twenty. Well, sorry, twenty twenty I have wink wink, um because um <laughs> because basically like I'm never in really like any normal year I'm never in I'm always out doing stuff so mm. I don't watch a lot of TV I usually like watch it on catch up because I'm watching so much TV I've actually sat down and watched this and it's quite grown up in a f- in a in a funny silly way this program like it's got like it's got really good it's it's, it's got really good comedians on it but it's very silly at the same time um and I think it's kind of it's passed me by for so many years I don't know how because it's really really funny Mm, um, great, and I think I know there's a lot of it to watch. I think we're in the tenth series now, going yeah, into the eleventh season. Finished in December, just gone. Yeah, it's really good. We, strangely enough, me and Andy were talking about this earlier on, <laughs> separate, separate, <clears throat> separate from you about how things that were on Dave just get completely buried, and you never hear of it or see mm-hmm. of them unless you're in the Dave ecosystem. And this is why, until he said he said Taskmaster at the start of the year, what was it? Stop. Well. Midway through 2020, whenever it came to Channel 4. And I had the same reaction. I had never seen it before either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. So, yeah, you've got 10 seasons worth of just comedic gold to get through. Yeah, I, I proper love Taskmaster. It's one of the uh, one, one of the best things of the last five years. One of my favourite things that I've seen on it so far is this, this, this like, Swedish guy that they keep doing, <laughs> that they keep yeah. doing, like, challenges with, and he's hilarious. And he's, like, just a, just a guy. Like, he's not even, like, a comedian, I don't think. It's just so deadpan, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. excellent. Yeah. So my wild cards. So my TV wild card. I've gone with BoJack Horseman. Mm. I mean, I, this could quite easily have gone into my top five of 2020 just for season six. But actually, the whole series is just—it's damn near perfect. I mean, it's a show about—it's a drama about mental health as much as it is a comedy about a horse who, who acts. <laughs> And has an agent who's also a cat. Like why not? It's it's absurdist, but as I say, there's some really deep episodes about mental health in there. Uh, so like, there's one episode which is set in the Alzheimer's riddled brain of his mother, so she can't remember faces. So every character, their face is scribbled out because she can't make the connection on who they are, except for the ones from way way back in her past, and she remembers it like it was yesterday. There's one episode where it's set at his mother's funeral and the whole episode is just a monologue talking about not being accepted by his mother for who he is. 
and it's it's kind of sad but beautiful. Yeah. But the very ending of the show is just something that I think will always stick with me. And it's when he says, life's a bitch and then you live. Like, it's perfect. It's true. It's devastating. And it's uplifting at the same time. Yeah. Like I just think it's, it's perfect. And as you know, I'm a big fan of South Park. But BoJack might be the best animated show that's ever been made. High praise indeed. Yeah, I think it's exceptionally good. It's just the um, the style annoys me a little bit. It's a bit like Rick, I couldn't get like Rick and Morty as well. It's like it has to be. It's something about like that animation style. I can't really put my finger on it. It's like it's a bit scratchy. If mm. that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, I mean, but like South Park was literally cut out pieces yeah. <laughs> of paper. <laughs> I would say just play through four or five episodes, and you'll get it. At that point, okay. like like many comedies, I think you need to get through the first run of shows to understand where the comedy is going. So I would recommend it. Uh, the film on my list, it was the first film I put on my top five. And then when I checked the date it was released, it was released on Boxing Day 2019. So it couldn't make it. But it's a film I watched on New Year's Day. And that's Little Women, which mm. I know I've mentioned several times, but... I'm a big fan of Greta Gerwig's work. I think she's an absolutely excellent director. And she did a film called Lady Bird a few years prior with um, Saoirse Ronan, who she recasts in this. And also it's got Florence Pugh, who might be the best actor to come out of the UK in the last five years. I think she's fucking wonderful. And it's just a really good story. So you've also got Emma Watson, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Bob Odenkirk, Meryl Streep. Like one hell of a cast list. It's really funny. It's really sweet. It's moving. It's a little bit tragic. And when you get to watch it for the first time, there won't be a crying baby sat nearby. So you'll be great <laughs> and you'll enjoy it. <laughs> so I, I would say put it on your Christmas list for Christmas 2021. And yeah, I think it's a perfect film for that time of year. So we'll do our top fives. Obviously, we'll go five to two, honourable mentions, and then we'll tell you what our number one is. I shall kick things off, and my number five is a little film called Tenet. Yes. And we won't talk about it now because it will be coming up a little bit later on. So, Matt, your number five, please. My number five is two specific episodes of a series that came out, which was Dark Side of the Ring. Um, So, for those who haven't seen it, um, it is a look at wrestling and events in wrestling history, but not told with the shackles of WWE's editing behind it, basically. So, it's more of what you would, what you may consider, not accurate necessarily, but a more damning representation of actually what happens in these events. So, you've got some of the really big ones in there, like the death of Owen Hart and like like murders of. like Bru- uh, Bruiser Brody in, in like earlier series and stuff like that, like really big events that happened in wrestling history. But the big one, probably the most controversial thing to happen in wrestling, even more so than the Hulk Hogan racism thing a few years back was um, the story of Chris Benoit murdering his wife and child. Um, and it's a two, it's a two parter about that. And the, in, uh, the, the, the show's producers interview, um, Chris Jericho, amongst other wrestlers um, and people in the business. And um, it's a really troubling and harrowing tale. And, you know, I've read into it loads. I was a huge Chris Benoit fan back in the day. 
Um, and it's really uncomfortable now because you try and separate the sport from the from the man, and it's really difficult mm. to do so. And the show just did it in such a wonderful way. It it's talking about a really terrible event, but it never felt exploitative. It only felt like a retelling of people's experiences and then how it's affected their lives now. Like they have his son on. Um and he meets back up with the sister of um, Chris Benoit's murdered wife. And their interaction is really like moving. Um, and what the show does, it never glorifies him either. I'd, or I like to don't fit, didn't feel like it does other than as a wrestler, never glorifies him as a, as a man as a, because he's a murderer, but it also looks a lot at um, Nancy Benoit, who, who was woman and, um, looks at her um looks at her life celebrates her just as much as they talk about Chris Benoit um, which was really important because you don't think you don't actually you don't when you think about the Chris Benoit story I bet nine times out of ten people probably doesn't even know the names of the people that were killed just know that Chris Benoit murdered his family but I just think it was an excellent documentary and it was mm. I would urge people wrestling fans or not to, to check it out does it go into the um the brain stuff as well yeah it goes into it it goes into the theory behind there's a really stunning like not theory i suppose but talks about the death of his of his close friend eddie guerrero and how that had an impact on his life and there was things that like that that came out on that on that show that i had no idea and it shows just the lengths of um what what the man was going through um they also talk about like head trauma and one of the like an ex-professional wrestler I can't remember the guy's name. He um, Chris Nowinski. Chris Nowinski, thank you. He mm-hmm. forms like a concussion, like activist, not activist group, but like a, an awareness, like group, I guess. Yeah, he, he's a doctor now, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and yeah. he's leading the investigations in C, into CTE. Yeah, so you know, it, it's it's a really detailed, non-exploitative, but still entertaining on a subject that's really difficult. I urge everybody to watch it. Well, what's the name of that again? Dark Side of the Ring. Ultimately, it's an enthralling tale. Mm-hmm. More than anything, like, I mean, there's that many true crime podcasts out there that I'm sure that if you have an interest in true crime, you would be interested in this story. Yeah, yeah agreed. You don't even have to be a wrestling fan because there is a narrative there. And you are right. They don't, they don't glorify Chris Benoit as a person. Really, it's not about him. It's about the effects his acts had on mm-hmm. other people. And as you mentioned, the scene with David Benoit and Nancy's sister, like it's, it's fucking heartbreaking. But mm-hmm. the fact that they finally got to see each other after 13 years, has it been? Yeah, 2007? That, yeah. yeah, it was um, it was moving, to say the least. Really excellent. The whole series has been excellent, but those two episodes especially, I'm... I'm definitely on your side of that. Brilliant yeah. TV. Only 16 episodes as well, by the looks of it, 45 minutes each. So. Yeah, yeah, very watchable, yeah. very yeah, bingeable yeah. as well, if that's your bag. Yeah. I, I prefer to watch, I'd say, one episode a day and digest it. Yeah, yeah I think that's... Yeah, that's like, like think... the Bruiser Brody one in that top notch. It's like things like Making a Murderer as well, when it's so tempting to just click next. Mm. Yeah, because such crazy shit happened all the time. It was best to do it like that and kind of torture yourself. So yeah, I mean that's that's all on the list now already. Yeah, excellent, Stu. What's your number five, please? So my number five is from the uh, 
Netflix cinematic universe of Christmas. Um, and it's Jingle Jangle, which is... <laughs> <laughs> came out, it was released in 2020. Yeah, it's my it's fifth <laughs> favourite film of the year. It's just... I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago anyway, so I won't, I won't go deep into it, but it's just... It's got everything that you could possibly... It's not really a Christmas... It's not really a Christmas film, and get into that all again. But it's... You could set it anytime. It's like steampunky. It's got a Victorian kind of steampunk vibe about it. It's pretty much an entirely black cast as well. We're in a kind of semi-musical, which is weird in itself. Hmm. Um, and it's got Forrest Whitaker singing. Who doesn't want that? It's, it was <laughs> just a... Re- it was just a really, really good, feel-good film, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching it. And I, I know I've been into it to get again, so I'm not going to bore everyone. But yeah, that was that was my fifth <laughs> biggest attraction of the year. <laughs> in, in fairness, Christmas films generally don't get a look in when you talk about the best films in a given year. It's a genre which is generally full of popcorn movies stuff that you'll watch once and then forget about so for the fact that it's it's made that much of a mark on you that that's quite impressive to be fair yeah it's one of them that it's i mean i sat through i think it must have been 2025 of the hallmark lifestyle shit ones that they're fun that it's they are fun christmas popcorn films that you know never watch again i've got them in my database that i've watched them but I'm never going to watch him again. This mm. um, this could be with Die Hard and Home Alone, and I watch this every year because it was really, really good. Super. So my number four, then, is another skip film because it's coming up later, and that is Uncut Gems. Matt, your number four, please. My number four is dedicated to uh, that bitch Carol Baskin. Yes. <laughs> basically I couldn't believe this was a last minute um, uh, amendment this was because I was looking back at like the year gone by and uh, this, this because of like lockdown and everything this felt this was the very beginning of lockdown this was mm, yes. um, so it feels like a lifetime ago but actually it wasn't it was 2020 um, the Tiger King um, phenomenon <laughs> it was just at the time it was like it just set the world alight. I couldn't remember a thing that had like caught so much attention for people. It was like that classic um, cooler talk, office cooler talk, where everyone's talking about it. Um, people are doing impressions. It's made like Saturday Night Live, and just it's just everywhere. Like, is that a film made out of it that Nick Cage is meant to be in? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just um, it was exactly what we needed at the time, but it was also just batshit crazy. It was. It was just incredible. Like I, I was transfixed on something that was so silly, but yet actually had like genuine story to it, and like genuine. Did he? Did she murder his her husband? Did like <laughs> what's going to happen? Someone has their arm ripped off. Like what's there not to fucking love about that? It was just something else that's on my list. Is just exactly what was needed at that time of the year. Hmm. Something to take your mind off what's currently going on. Because don't forget, the start of lockdown was when. Things were genuinely getting really scary out there. No loo roll, no pasta. It was like dead quiet. <laughs> it was like dead quiet out on the street to the point where it would be like, and this is for, I don't, you know, this isn't a tinfoil hat podcast or anything, you know, they don't care about survival rates or anything. This was at a time when we didn't know better about this virus. 
it was yeah, scary. Was... It was scary. So like, this is what we needed at the time. Yeah, I mean, it it sort of brought the whole damn world together, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone in every corner of this planet was watching the Tiger King. It, it was the first time we sort of felt like there's something outside of just this pandemic mm. that we are still here and we've still got something to get on with, even if it's just this fucking insane TV show. Yeah, exactly. It was just, it was, it was brilliant. And like, I just, I can't say enough good things about it because I just enjoyed it so much. And it just, it was, if anything, it just took your mind off what was going on, uh, you know, outside. And that's all you want sometimes from a, from a show or a film. Mm. So, Definitely. I don't know how it happened either because it, it had been on there for a few weeks before anyone said anything about it. Because I remember reading when you look at the new things on Netflix and it was all it's about mistreatment of tigers. I thought, oh, I don't want to be watching this, especially was that mm. was that cat film? What was it about the um, the internet cat film? I can't remember what it was. Don't called. fuck with cats. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And I, ne- I never watched that's, that because that's good as well. I thought, no, I don't want to be seeing this kind of shit. So it wasn't until two weeks later when it when everyone seemed to watch it that week, that I jumped on board and I thought, no, this can't this can't be watched one a day. <laughs> I think I watched it in three days in in three parts. It was just hmm. it was the closest however stupid it is, it's the closest thing we've had since Lost. Hmm. Where everyone watched it and everyone were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. At least the first <laughs> series. Yeah. And it was so it was so over the top, like you couldn't write it. No. If if anyone wrote a script like that, <laughs> they would be laughed out of the room because there's absolutely no way that show would get made because it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's that kind of documentary that you just you'd be watching it with your mouth agape because <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense. It was crazy. Yeah, it was just you. You look at the, if you even just breaking it down, just the different parts of his life. The fact that he's gay in that part of America, the fact that he's a cowboy and gay, the fact that he's a cowboy gay and a politician, <laughs> and then he's got his own Tiger Kingdom. And he's got, like, albums out as well. Yeah, he's, got, he's, he's a country <laughs> star, and he's got a fierce rival in the Tiger community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just incredible, incredible. Uh, what's your number four, please, Shay? So going from the insane and ridiculous to <laughs> dropping the mood right down, and it's Athlete A on Netflix. Now, this is the only one on the list that I don't know what this is, so sell it to me, please. It's a documentary about um, the illegal doping of child athletes in okay. Indian- Indianapolis, of all places, by Russian doctors. Is it the... The, I'm gonna ruin the whole film, but the um, the doctor for the U.S. gymnastics team was so they were getting results in different ways, and there was kind of hints at doping, but then it went much much darker, and they were touching the girls up, and there was all kinds of sick shit going on, and <laughs> exactly just so the look on your faces, it's. And this is a it's a, a doc, documentary film on Netflix. Athlete, you've got to be in the right frame of mind, and you've got to be kind of strung to not go and smash it up after you watch it because it's. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's through when you, you do get to see the 
the court appearances later and the girls who were affected by it all and how I mean, their lives were... The parents trusted the doctors and they trusted all mm. these people. And obviously being a doctor and there was there's some things like where... Um, Obviously, because they're like fourteen-year-old girls, and they say, "Well, we just did what the doctor said. We thought it was procedure." Mm. And you oh, think, wow. yeah, and they all kind of the trial is. I don't. Let's just say it's powerful. It's pow- It's powerful stuff. If you if you've got the stomach to watch that kind of thing, and you know the um, the killing of what was it called? The killing of. Uh, Gabriel Fernandez, we watched that as well. Yeah, and that yeah. was fucking sick as anything. Mm, that was powerful. That was. Yeah, it's it's in that kind of vibe of powerfulness that you have to be of sound mind to go and watch it. But it's if you can get through it, it's really really good. It's a really good film. Okay, I'm going to put that one on the list then. Oh, I mean, we've had a few of these like proper tough to stomach documentaries this this last year and. I don't know if like twenty twenty was the right time to put them out in retrospect, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds hard hitting anyway. So my number three is a film I'm surprised isn't on anybody else's list, and it won the Oscar this year, and it's Parasite. I I thought Parasite was exceptional. Like I generally, when it comes to foreign language films, I tend to stick to the horror genre. I, I don't know why it just works mostly mm. for me. But then it, I suppose Parasite did have some elements of horror thriller to it, but it also had some really darkly comic moments as well. And it was just, it was perfectly made. Just the whole, the storytelling that was set across three different levels between three different families of three different hierarchies within this society. Each one is a parasite upon another one. Like, it was such a clever film. The script was... I don't want to keep saying perfect, because, like, not everything can be perfect, but this was as close to perfection as I've seen from a a Korean film for me. I thought it was really really well made and the performances within it were excellent the father of i don't want to spoil it the father of the middle class family not the upper class or the lower class family um i thought he was just fucking phenomenal in that role and i I think it's a disgrace he wasn't oscar nominated so he's perfect in it they swept up there didn't they to be fair didn't they across the one best picture didn't they like yeah I mean, it, they the were the first, first foreign language film to get a uh, mm-hmm. to, to to actually win it. Because I mean, I think twelve uh, twelve months prior, it was Roma, which is just a stunningly made film, and that didn't win the Oscar. Yeah. Green Book won it, like insultingly bad film, won it. So yeah, Parasite for me. Um, and I know you were a fan as well, Matt. Obviously, I know we spoke about it several times in the build up to it, and Stu as well. I I didn't watch it until the summer, um, just because you wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah. But to be fair to it, though, if it wasn't for Parasite, there's no way I would have spent six weeks over Christmas watching Norwegian and German and, and different kinds of fil- um, TV dramas and films with subtitles because I hadn't done it since Pan's Labyrinth years ago. Because I just... Mm. And now well, there was another one, sorry. Wreck. Record. Yeah. Spanish film. Yeah, um, Spanish film. That was, 
so it had been a long time since I'd watched them, and it was almost like a, a dying art, I suppose, being all kind of hipster watching the subtitle films and all that kind of thing. But it got me really back into it, and when they came out at Christmas and I got proper into them, I thought, yeah, there's a whole world of, especially on Netflix, that cater for all this stuff that you've been really missing out on. Hmm. I think Bong Joon-ho put it best when he said, if you get over the two centimetre high hurdle, there's a wealth of films out there that you can be watching. It's right. Yeah. Because there, there isn't, there's, there's no excuse to ignore a film because you might have to pay attention. That's <laughs> not, not an excuse, is it? <laughs> Stu, have you seen the American remake of Wreck Quarantine? No. At least I didn't want it. It's, 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 it's decent, to be fair. It's not. It's not. It is terrible. comparable to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. To Stu's to Stu's point, it is amazing actually how one film can open your eyes to foreign language films or subtitles that just opens up this completely this Pandora's box of like amazing thing that's out there. Like, mm. um, and hopefully, like everybody can find theirs that just like gives you that enough for that interest that you're going to seek other stuff. Like mine was probably like Battle Royale really early on, and then Life is Beautiful from there. And then when I went to study film, there's a, like, a load of films then after that that like I'd seen. But yeah, no, a really good shout that. Uh, what's your number three, Matt? My number three is um, The Boys Series 2. So The Boys for me has a really special place in my heart because the first, I'd, I'd, I had no idea this show even existed until I went to New York um, in... Christ, when did I go? Was it before I got married or after? Before, I think. And it was um and it was just everywhere on all the billboards. I like whole buildings were spray painted with like the like graffiti of the boys. And I didn't know that what this show was. I just thought, oh, is there like a new Avengers or something coming out? Or like, what the hell's all this about? Um and then I watched it like immediately when I got home and was just amazed by it. Then series two came out, that difficult second album as they call it. <laughs> and um it was just it was just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal it hit the right note in nearly every episode it took what was really good about the show these eccentric characters and built on them and then slapped a load of meat on the bones of these characters that we already had made the lovable ones more lovable they made the hated ones more hated and they just gave us more to work with these characters when they could have very easily just done a real repeat of what was what what was right in the first place what what made it work in the first place there's some proper like jaw dropping moments in it there's moments of real heart it's really funny it flips on your head who you think is morally right and wrong um it's just an it was just an excellent series that i think had every opportunity to be its own undoing by the first series being so well, and it could have it could have fell on its ass, but I think it was it was excellent. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I echo those sentiments. I'd love, I mean, fucking adore Aya Cash, who came in as the the white supremacist character um, Stormfront. I've, she's in a show called You're the Worst, which I implore you to check out. It's a really good sitcom. So when I found out she was coming on to season two, I was already hyped, but that just pushed me over mm-hmm. the edge. I was just fucking really looking forward to it. And, and as you say, that second series is often do or die for shows, oh, yeah, yeah. especially in the streaming world. How many times do we see series just get that second series? It gets panned and they never get back for a third or they never recover from it. And this one just kept it going and it turned it up a bit. 
I thought Carl Urban was excellent. Like he was really good in the first season, but his character was probably the most two dimensional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just that his thing was, I say, cunt in a British accent. That that was it. Yeah. But in this, you find out more about his family, his life. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And plus you had the bitch fight. I thought it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I loved that scene. I thought it was tremendous. Have you seen it, Stu? I can't remember if you're, no. you're not on to boys. You'll enjoy boys I know, when well, you get around it's, to it's, it. It's very much there. Um it's like the, the other ones, like the Umbrella Academy and stuff like that, where I know that you watched it all straight away. And it, it's so that, you know, like, a bit like Heroes, or the, like the fake comic book films and the series, like the, that's not DC or Marvel. It's getting over that hurdle because however much I loved Heroes, you have things like The Cape with Vinnie Jones that was shit. <laughs> and obviously, this is not going to be that. And it, But it's one well, then that it got fell by the wayside when Shield was finishing off last year. and but there's room for it now, and this year there's things like that, and there's. It looks like we're going to be on in. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be at home for a significant amount of time again, <laughs> at least until April. So there's no excuse to power through some of these, and this this is definitely top of the list. Yeah. So the original comic book series is written by a guy called Garth Ennis, who is a British comic book writer, and I think you can tell that in the humour that comes out yeah, of it. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, it'll be up your alley when you when you get around to it. Well, he's Carl Urban's Australian or New Zealand. He is. Yeah, he's, I'm sure he's Australian. He's definitely from that region, anyway. But yeah, he's so doing the English accents. They're normally spot on, aren't they? So it's not fantastic. I don't think it it's veers a bit off. ropey, but like it's not yeah. Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> so it's time for your number three, Stuart. And that smile on your face says everything. Da 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 Hamilton, superb. It changed the year. <laughs> I mean, you look at what, yeah, it came at the right time. I mean, look what it did. I mean, the fact that Disney put it out a year early, just <laughs> on Disney Plus, and being the first time something like this, well, first time it had been captured, I suppose, wasn't it, at all? Because the only other way to see it beforehand was to watch it live. For a thousand dollars a head, so we would have absolutely no chance about it. And you heard it on podcasts all over the world. And oh, we've seen Hamilton, it's the best thing since sliced bread, and all this. And I thought, he can't possibly live up to me. I had no idea who Lim and Will Miranda was, never heard the guy before. Obviously, since and you look at what he's done beforehand and the songs that he's wrote, and you think, oh, that was a silly thing. Um, not knowing who he was, but yeah, he came at the right time, and it was, it's just. I've watched that film more than any other this year, <laughs> last year. Same. <laughs> and considering it's only three hours long as well, it's so you got that and you listen to the soundtrack, which is the film anyway. So you're probably looking at about 20 times hearing that audio <laughs> in, in an entire year, which is just mental. It just got got under my skin. I even rec- I recommended it to everyone I could possibly think of. Even people I knew wouldn't like musicals and obviously Matt's bearing down now and he's going to embrace it properly. <laughs> <laughs> but there was <laughs> yeah, got people who hate musicals, and they even gave, they gave it a chance because I was so enthusiastic about it, and I loved it that much. It's funny because when I was in New York, I had the chance to see Hamilton uh, for like half price, half price tickets as well, and uh, turned it down because I didn't know nothing about it. This was like way before like it came out or anything like that. 
it's one of these like in in like for, for broadway you can go to um like a little booth that's uh that ticket sellers um sell unsold tickets for like half price but you've got to queue up for mm-hmm. like an hour or at least more and the choices are there like you go in with what you want to see if they can get you in great if not they'll offer you other stuff and i wanted to go see king kong and got king kong um but like was offered hamilton um and i'd like to see it now after all the hoopla and see it in it's like in its purest form i guess um but i will watch it yeah, uh, that was my my promise to you at some point i will watch it and come back to you <laughs> If we do, maybe do an uncaged episode on it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we've spoke about it several times on the podcast, so don't want to beat a dead horse with it. But yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Like all the performances are great. The Lafayette rap, I, I've tried to do the Lafayette rap, it. and it is fucking impossible. So David Diggs is incredible doing that. Really, really good. As you say, I didn't really know a lot about Lin Manuel Miranda prior to Hamilton. I knew that he wrote this show that I wanted to see but and then he started popping up in like Brooklyn Nine Nine and I think he wrote some of the songs for Moana as well. Yeah. So he started doing these other little things and it looks like he's gonna have this great career. And he's currently starring in um the His Dark or say currently last year. Uh, he was in the His Dark Material series and it's been brilliant. So uh, yeah I definitely want to see more Lin Manuel Miranda. He uh, seems a really good dude. Yeah and I was just going to say that he doesn't seem like a country. <laughs> no, this is awesome. someone who's that amount of success in short, such a short, short space of time. You could almost, almost forgive, but you could kind of expect it to get to the head and go off the rails a little bit. I mean, obviously, in twenty twenty, they really have the chance to, but um, <laughs> but now he seems very. Every interview you see with him, he's always doing everything for everyone, and he's always up, up for yeah. anything. So yeah, I mean. One of the good guys. Yeah. So when Brooklyn Nine-Nine originally got cancelled by Fox, him, Mark Hamill, Sean Astin and someone else, I can't remember, uh, they all rallied around and tried to get all eyes on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and then obviously NBC picked it up. So he has since been in Brooklyn Nine-Nine off the back of it because he played a big part in making sure that it didn't go away. So, yeah, I'll be eternally grateful to him for that, if nothing else, to be perfectly honest. So my number two, and this is a film that was a late, late entry into into my top five. It's a film called St. Francis. Now, it's not one that's got particularly widely released or anything, and I've not mentioned it to either of you pair because I knew that it was going to go into my top five as soon as I saw it in preparation for today. Now, you both know me. You know that I like a good, strong female protagonist in a film. And that is what this film is about. So it's a a comedy drama film about a woman who is a... She's letting life pass her by somewhat. Um, She ends up in this relationship that's sort of going nowhere. They get pregnant, but she aborts the baby. And at the same time as this is going on, she's dealing with a lesbian couple of whom she's the nanny of their youngest daughter, of their adopted oldest daughter. And this lesbian couple then have another baby. And it's all about the trials and tribulations of these four women. So that the two lesbians, the main character and the young daughter. And it's just this really sweet little indie that is just so heartwarming. It doesn't take any big leaps or anything, but it's just kind of beautiful watching people rally around and help each other to stop being dicks and 
help each other out of their mess. I properly enjoyed this film. It's going to go into heavy rotation now because, like I say, I like strong female protagonists and I like indie films and it just ticks all my boxes. St. Francis, check it out. Loved it. Mm. So, Matt, your number two, please. The Great British Motherfucking Bake Off. (laughs) Um, for all the reasons that I said about um, Tiger King, um, this was exactly what was needed at the time. So um, at this point in the year, um, everyone's sick of lockdown now. It's been going on ages and ages and ages. There's no hope in sight, no clarity about Christmas. Everyone's worried what they're going to do around Christmas and you know the end of the furlough scheme. At the time, um, people were worried about jobs. This is exactly what was required at the time and actually gave some form of normality to a week, believe it or not, because <laughs> like the week's just passing by like so quickly. Like, it's the weekend, bang, it's midday again. And it, it was like, it's okay, on a Tuesday night, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch Bake Off. And I just, I put everything into this show this year. Like, <laughs> I really did. Like, I, I, every emotion was heightened through watching it, like, it was really emotional at times for some for some for some of the contestants and not really contestants, but for some of the for the bakers on it. I was really, really like heavily involved in wanting Peter to win it. And when he did, I cheered as if like Wolves had scored a 90 second <laughs> minute winner. Like I texted you, um, Andy, about it loads and like it was just it's so sweet and innocent and yeah, you know, void of any substance in terms of like you know it doesn't challenge you at all in any way um but it was just it was just a it was just a a bringer upper it was warm and it was it was just everything that you needed matt lucas was sensational in it and i was really worried he was going to bring the show down a bit not because i don't think he's an excellent comedian but the roles i've enjoyed him in shooting stars aside um which is excellent and he's great in Little Britain now watching it back, pretty terrible. Like like watching it now, I think it's 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 not. And I'd worried he was going to bring that element to him, but no, actually he didn't. He he really compliments Noel Fielding really well, um, and I just think the whole show was just everything that was needed at that time. And it and it got. I'm not saying it it got me through lockdown, uh, but it. It was just a real treat every week. And that's all I can ask for in, in anything. Something that just gives me genuine joy. And that's what it did this show um, this year. And you had a situation as well because of no pubs and no doing, no being going out anywhere. You had mm-hmm. people who'd never in a million years watching it <laughs> and enjoying it the same amount. When exactly. I, I, I ain't saying they were going out buying waistcoats to look like Ronan, but there were... <laughs> <laughs> There were people when well, my uncle were talking about Bake Off. What are you doing? You, what are you talking about this? You've never watched Bake Off in your life. You don't even know what it is. And you're like, oh, mm. it's a, this year, it was on and I thought, oh, people were talking about it. On, on. But yeah, because everyone was talking about it. It was, and because it was on free-to-air TV as well. So you don't have to have a subscription. You don't have to go and find it. You knew where it was, 8 o'clock, Channel 4, on a Tuesday night for Aaron 10, <laughs> 15 minutes or whatever yeah. it was. It, it's funny because up and down the land there would have been the same conversation happening in the same like in, so industry stayed open during lockdown obviously but like pubs and stuff so there'll be the same blokes going into the same factories having the same conversations up and down the country going 
No, no, honestly, it's good. That's what they'll be saying. Like, oh, it's, it's not bad, honestly. It's not shit, honestly. There'll be those same conversations everywhere we'll be having. And it, and it was just it was just brilliant. And it was... Um, I just can't wait for the next one because we'll be in this situation all through 2021, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so much of what we watch is cynical mm-hmm. about the world. And, like, the Great British Bake Off is anything but... Like, it's just earnest. And I, I think that is a real underrated quality in a TV show, just being earnest. And, yeah, like you say, it's added structure to the week. So you knew where you were going to be on a Tuesday night. It was bake-off night. Yeah, exactly. And, it, it, again, it was what we needed when we needed it. It was the hero we needed. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the fact that, it's, in some ridiculous, weird reason, it's got an international following as well. So, when I mean, you got... You know, this podcast I listen to, like the Geek Box, for example, and they dedicated a section of the show everywhere before between talking about um, things like the MCU and the usual kind of thing. They dedicate fifteen minutes every week to talking about the Bake Off result. <laughs> it's it's bled into this this much and. Was it Netflix over there? So we had to be careful. And you had the same thing as we had with series ending here, where you'd have to mute notifications on on Twitter and everything, so it won't ruined for you. There were people doing that for Bake Off or Great British British Baking Show, as it's called over there, um, for reasons. Right. So your number two, then, please, Jim. This was almost nailed on. One hundred percent gonna be number one for a long time until the day before we submitted these lists to each other. And it's the big T. It's Tenet. Yeah, I I personally thought, like, I was certain this was going to be your number one. It's, well, I was going to say then, but before ruining the show, that Matt could have just gone and had a piss then, (laughs) rather than than beforehand. (laughs) I mean, when I, me and Mark and my brother have been looking forward to this for a long time and being big Nolan fans and everything. Obviously, Apart from me only seeing the prestige last year, which was just mental. But look forward to it. I tried not to get overly hyped about it. And again, I'd avoided all spoilers and trailers and everything possible. So I went in thinking, well, it's it's now and it's going to be timey why me. And it exceeded everything I expected. Some of the the story's a bit bollocks, obviously, but <laughs> some of the scene some of the set pieces in it. You can't even you Matt, can't help but think be blown away by how it was done, like the back all the backwards stuff. It was just super, just superb to watch, and I've I have seen it once again since then, and I loved it even even much if not more, because obviously with foresight you know, you know what's coming, but it's just you can't even explain it, can you? Because it's so mental, you can't explain mm. how. Did you say, say to someone, oh, yeah, this is about... Uh, I think you try and think of something. <laughs> and then without... Yeah, I mean, it's basically converging storylines, isn't it? Yeah. That they're... Converging, converging storylines in, in time and space, at the same time, at the same space. and It's just insane. And if you're an Alan fan, I know it's still... Because it's it's it was, it was on Blu-ray and DVD and, and digital just before Christmas and... So the conversation started on Twitter again, and it's got to be the, his most polarizing film of all time. 
because there's people who absolutely despise it. And I can I can understand it because it is too it is weird and it's weird for weird sake in parts. And you have the weird, the usual known tropes with Michael Caine and stuff like that. But I just I just absolutely loved it, loved it. Yeah, I, I think like like you say, there there is some absolute weirdness to it, and it's a film that you can go as deep or as light into as you possibly want. Personally, I think the lighter touch is better because. If you look too deep into it, as is the problem with all, I know it's not time travel, but it sort of is. But any time travel element in anything, the film is just complete bollocks because it it breaks its own rules and it doesn't really yeah, make exactly. sense because there's, there's always a paradox, always a paradox. So I think if you just look at it and enjoy the visual feast that you are given, like th- there's very few films that have had that impact this year. Like, I think it's excellent. And I really think that the performances, the central performances from John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, and Elizabeth Debicki, all three of them, I just thought were marvellous. Really strong, good acting. I think John David Washington is just a. Like, he's going to be as big as his dad. I think he's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I was. I can remember the first time I saw him, but it was. It was always that in the back of your mind, though. It's, it's like. Peter and Kasper Schmeichel, you're always going to compare them to each other. <laughs> so it, you can't help it. It's just one of them things. But in this, not once did I think of Denzel Washington. No, no. He's his own man. Like no. He's a proper good actor. There's very few days where I don't think of Denzel Washington, to be fair. So that was <laughs> it, it, it was an achievement in itself. But it was also one of the very few films, maybe, well, maybe the third or fourth film that I watched all, all of 2020 in the actual cinema itself. Because of the situation we're in, um, because and we watch it in forty, we watch it in as big a screen as we possibly could as well. But that didn't matter because when I watch it again on a slightly smaller screen, it's it was still as amazing as ever. So I mean, for me, it's going to be one, up there in my top ten list for a long, long time. Hmm. Matt, you were indifferent to this film. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't see it as the. Second Coming of Christ, as maybe you two did at the time, um, and I and I did see this very very close to seeing the tenth anniversary of Inception, um, which to me in IMAX at the cinema was just sensational, and this tenant had that in its um, in its technological elements and its its visual absolutely had that like it was incredible as, as like the set pieces and everything about it but inception grabbed me from a story point of view tenet didn't simply simply put um and i i take nothing away from the like the cinematography and and the grandness of the film i just think that the story it by no means is inception an easy to follow film but the the, the story from tenet was a bit too uh, self-indulgent for the sake of it, which took it away a little bit. If I'm just being completely brutally honest, yeah, I mean, I, I'd still say I prefer Inception over Tenant, mm-hmm. even now. But Inception's like top three, and this is top ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think, like, I'm just looking at Christopher Nolan's um, IMDb page of the films he's directed. I have, I still haven't seen Interstellar. 
<gasps> but I think I think I've seen all of his other films post two thousand. He, he had one called Following in nineteen ninety eight, which I haven't seen. And to be fair, Tenant will probably be bottom three in that list. But that's not to say it's a bad film. It's still a great film. It's just that all of his films are that damn good mm. in, in my eyes. That's fair. So that was number twos out of the way. So we'll do quick honourable mentions each and then we'll give our number ones. So my honourable mentions at Palm Springs, which I mentioned on a podcast previously, which is a time loop rom-com with Andy Samberg and Christina Milioti. I'm kind of gutted I couldn't fit this into my top five because I thought it was a really unique twist on an old trope. And plus, I love J.K. Simmons and he was brilliant in that film. So Palm Springs is an honourable mention for me. Um, And Westworld season three. Like when they left The Matrix in season two. No no, no spoilers post season two, please. It's just ruined you all. (laughs) (laughs) So like... So you've seen season two? No, so. well, I haven't. I've seen about halfway through it. But carry on, carry on. Just be, be right. subjective in what you're saying. Okay, let me think. Right, okay. <laughs> so up to season two, it was basically a sandbox. And how could you build from that mm-hmm. without it just being too much? This show is a crossroads at this point. And normally you get to it. So, you know, do you know who joins the cast in season three? No. Last, that's so, a, last, uh, the, I've I started say, series. I started good. series two, and I um and I just I, for whatever reason I never finished it. So I need to rewatch okay. series two. Basically, you need to watch Fair it enough. properly. That's, that's the only problem with it. You can't. Yes, you can't you need to give it the time. Even look at away. Look at you found once. You'll miss something. <laughs> yeah. So in season three, a big name actor joins the cast. Okay. And generally, that is the sign of a show on the decline. But absolutely not with this. It took it up a notch. Mm-hmm. Like it was already godlike tier. It's godlike tier plus one now because okay. it, yeah, it was just brilliant. Without going further, uh, my other honourable mention. I think I'm hoping Stu is going to mention. So um, I'll put a pin in that to find out if he says it. So your your honourable mentions, please, Matt. So one film uh, that I really wanted to be excellent. Um, no hint there, um, but wasn't quite as fantastic as I wanted it to be. Even though, like, I'd give it extra points for, purely for nostalgia, would have been um, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed it. <coughs> upon me, but I enjoyed it for all the wrong reasons. Really, I enjoyed it because it was Bill and Ted, not because it was a great film. Um, I just enjoyed everything about like that world. Um, the 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 female. Um, the female leads in it actually were the highlights of the film. They were excellent. Um, and it was just enough nostalgia that it made it, it made it fun, but it wasn't so much nostalgia that it, it made it cringy. It was, it was just, it was a good, it was a good serviceable film that gave me a smile without it, you know, tarnishing the legacy of, of the two that come before it, which you so easily could have done. Um, Eurovision. <laughs> Loved it. It was excellent. It was it was brilliant. It was you know, uh, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it was a direct comparison to Hamilton in terms of an excellent musical uh, film, but um, it was just silly nonsense that um, was a complete surprise in terms of I expected it to be massively wank, and it was, <laughs> it was really good, um, and I really enjoyed it. And bar um, when you can't stop was, singing, yeah, yeah. 
Ding dong. Ding dong. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and my um, my other honourable mention, it might have made the list, if not for a really shambolic ending, um, personally, would have been Hunters on Amazon Prime. Um, this is was... why I didn't watch it, because I heard about this ending. Mm, I won't spoil it, but um, it was great up until the end, and then it had a can see it coming a mile away ending. Um and then a really shocking twist at the end, which means you know they're going to drag it on. It was a really great program for like ninety five percent of it um, about uh, basically Nazi hunters in not the twentieth century, not in like I think it's like the like the eighties, I think it is, or or uh, in the like late seventies. Um, it, it was really really good, but it just um, at the end, it's one of those infuriating things. It's not like you've watched something that's terrible. So you can just slag it off. It's something that's been really good that just pissed you off at the end. But Hunters was decent. It's it's, it's still worth a watch. Okay. Was that the one with Pacino? Yeah, it yeah. was, yeah. Okay. I, I vaguely remember it being advertised but never got round to it. Uh, Stu, what are your honourable mentions, please? Well, I left TV shows off my list altogether when I was when I was doing top five just because it's harder, harder to recommend a TV show to people just because of the time commitment. So the ones I'd left off was... Matter mentioned Tiger King, obviously. Um, and again, I've, we've mentioned all these over the podcast over the last six, seven months anyway, but Lovecraft Country, nice 10 episode arc, Air Age, very Lovecraftian, very monsters. But again, it's got a lot of heart and a lot of underlying themes of racism in the 50s in that, that part of the deep south of America as well. It's re- it, There's a, a lot of layers there if you want something. That seems very geeky, but under the surface, there's a lot to scratch there. Um, obviously, the other one, Mandalorian. Again, no spoilers whatsoever for any se- for both seasons. Just go and watch it. Don't need to say a thing. Um, the other one, the other TV show was The Last Dance, which we I can't believe anyone's no one's mentioned. <laughs> I know, yeah. That yeah. that was excellent. To be fair, it's literally only because my list is films, but yeah, it was. Yeah. So I even said to so I mentioned it to my dad as well, and he's got no interest in anything apart from football whatsoever. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sport you it is. So you could put this story into anything. It's just it's incredibly well made with the footage that they had, and amazing how they had that footage in the first place and in that quality. Mm. And they managed to make it. It was that was one where I was thankful that they released it as they did. In, in three episode chunks because I would have just watched it all in one day and not slept. See, it, it was just yeah. so enticing. But the um, the two films that did miss out, obviously Eurovision was, until my number one came along, Eurovision was my fifth. Mm. So it, it would have got a mention um, because <laughs> why not? But, um, 1917, a war, mo- yeah. war yeah, movie that, good. that wasn't patronising in any way. And was very, very well made, very well acted all round, and the effects were as good as they need to be without being mm. over the top. Yeah, I mean, I've said several times on the podcast, I don't really like war films, but that was very, very good. Really well made movie that was. But the um, the last one, which I agonised over including anyway which I'm hoping it's the one that you mentioned because it's now the best video game adaptation of all time, and it's Sonic the Hedgehog. 
that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> you it's just pure madness and fun and chaos, and it's a kid's film, but it's not a kid's film. It's Jim Carrey back to his best. It's got no right being anywhere near as good as it is. And mm. I've I've watched it more than I watched Detective Pikachu, and I love that one as well. But <laughs> it's one that you can watch it in any setting. You can watch it if you if you just want something on in the background, you can put it on. If you want something to get pissed to, you can put it on. Or if you just want to watch a throwback film that could have been released at the same time as The Mask, you can put it on. So if that wasn't the film, then what was he? It wasn't a film. It was a TV show. I was certain you were going to say Ted Lasso. Oh, shit, yeah. I completely forgot about it. Like, I mean, I'm And we got we were obsessed massive... with it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Scrubs. And the showrunner on this was Bill Lawrence, who was the creator of Scrubs. And it's very much my kind of humour. Like, what started out as a stupid advertisement for Americans to watch the Premier League, it had no right to be anywhere near as good as it was. And I think a large part of that is down to Bill Lawrence being the showrunner and helping with the scripting side of things. And I don't want to single out many performances because they were all brilliant. But I would say... If you're on the fence about Ted Lasso, watch the scene where Nick Mohammed is giving the halftime team talk at the end. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like Brett Goldstein's reactions to him being insulted. Oh, it's excellent. If you watch that and you don't like it, you probably won't like Ted Lasso. If you watch it and think, yeah, this this has got something, then yeah, play into it. Because this is one that I didn't think would. I mean, obviously, when we saw it, it, it we saw the. I mean, the trailer makes it look absolute wank. Yeah. And I thought... Oh, Doesn't geez. do it justice. Oh, Jesus. Let's get... I thought, oh, well, it's Apple TV. The only Apple TV mention of this whole podcast, which says something. I mean, when mm. you, you got um, C, which wasn't bad, to be fair to it, but again, um, not on this level. And again, I watched it and I, I, I texted you. I said, it's actually all right. And mm. there's, there's something there and... For again, like with Bake Off, it's crossed over into everything. Even people who don't like sport like this because it's funny. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter because there's hardly any football. Like, well, there's a few football scenes, but it doesn't matter that it's football. It's no. just, it's just that, that's like the least interesting thing about it is the football, really. Yeah. It's, it's a, when you boil it down, it's a fish out, fish out water comedy in mm. 10 parts for 23 minutes a week. It's superb. Where can I yeah. where can I find it? I haven't seen any of it. Apple TV Plus or uh, the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, yeah. nudge. There's ways and means. Uh, so our number ones. A quick recap: five for me was Tenet, four was Uncut Gems, three was Parasite, two was Saint Francis. So number one, it's a film I've mentioned every week on the podcast. It is host. Just, I, I mean, I don't need to be carry on beating the drum of this film. I say it every week. It was so well made during a time when it must have been nigh on impossible to direct a movie and get actors to act and not be in the same room as them. To have done what they did with next to no budget for a streaming service that, let's be honest, still most people haven't heard of Shudder. 
this film is marvellous. It's like a technical feat. It's fucking brilliant. 70 minutes, like, you won't find a better use of 70 minutes than to sit through host this year. I implore you, give this film a chance. It's incredible. The yeah. thing is, I mean, I know for podcast purposes, like, we, we as our Twitter account, follow like uh, like the the film the director etc but it's universal praise exactly as you said people love this film and it's like a, a, a massive surprise gem that has come out of um 2020 in terms of like universal praise for something that is wholly original how often do we say that now like just mm. incredible yeah i mean yeah it is unique in a world full of especially in the horror genre where there aren't really that many new stories being told. So, yeah, I, I tip my hat to those people. They are fucking genius. So, Matthew, your number one, please. I can't believe... I don't well, I don't think this will be Stu, so it's a very, very quick... I'll, I'll mention this after Stu, just because I don't want to steal his thunder in case this is his number one. I don't think it will be, than what I was about to say, but we'll come back it, to this. It absolutely won't be. <laughs> well, your number one won't be what I'm thinking. Well, it's, it's not what Andy thought whatsoever, so... <laughs> okay. Uh, my number one um, was Uncut Gems. So one that you mentioned was your number five, Andy, was it? Um, basically, uh, number, basically, this was a complete out-of-nowhere um, film for me. Like, I didn't know anything about it going into it. Adam Sandler is uh, an actor who, I'd say 75% of his work I don't enjoy. Um, but this film was unbelievably tense i remember my back hurting my stomach hurting getting the headache from how much this film had me on the edge of my seat and like panicking i could feel my heartbeat going and i could i felt tense and i i verged on like feeling anxiety because of how like it was shot how the characters are so um volatile with each other and how you're following this guy who is just completely losing control um and he's trying to like basically get a deal over the line to not, I don't want to spoil it in any way for people. Um, and it, it's one of these great things that we discussed when we like, when we talked about falling down where um, it actually has, it doesn't, it isn't able to invest a lot of time into other characters, but what it does when it does, it does it in such a way that um, you could watch this film in a completely different way, follow a different protagonist and it becomes a completely different film. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just really excellently done. And I think it's because it was such a surprise that I wasn't expecting. It just blew me away at how, how Adam Sandler could have this role that um, was so enthralling. Like you, you couldn't take your eyes off it, but you didn't want to watch it. Well, I didn't because of how, how it, it tense it was and how it made me feel, but it was a proper standout. And um, I, I, you know, I urge everybody to watch it because it's a sleeper. I don't think not, you know, most people probably haven't heard of it, let alone have watched it. Um, and it will be a shame if it doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. Mm. It's a disgrace that the Oscars didn't give it any attention. I mean, I I say this like with not. I I don't think I'll ever say this again. Adam Sandler should have been Oscar nominated. <laughs> like he was marvelous in this movie, and there are very few films that have had the same visceral impact on me. The only other film that springs to mind that made me physically feel it was a film called buried with ryan reynolds hmm. where the whole film is him buried in a coffin and it, that's the whole film you just see him on screen for the 90 minutes inside a coffin and at the end of that film 
like when the lights came up, that felt like it was the first time I could breathe for 90 minutes because mm. it had that impact. And that's how I felt with Uncut Gems. The whole thing, like I was, my nails were just digging into my hands because the, the tension was just palpable. Yeah, yeah. The whole movie. Agreed. Completely agree. Yeah. You know, I added it to my Netflix list begrudgingly because I don't, sorry, Ellie, sorry, Ellie, mate, I don't like Adam Sandler. I know she, my cousin, had a proper go at me for this. And how can you not like Adam Sandler? Well, how can you really? But mm. your, uh, your two's passion over this film, I thought, well, if you're both agreeing to it to this extent, then I'll have to put it on. And it is there, it, it will be watched at some point you now. All the uh, Christmas shenanigans are over with. Um, but yeah, it's, this happens sometimes where, and I think it's kind of linked to mine in a minute as well, where you get a mainly comedic actor pulling off an incredible dramatic performance, and that's what that sounds like. Yeah, Uncle James is... It, it, that will be his standout film. Like, if he does nothing else for the rest of his career, and let's be honest, he probably won't. He'll just fart <laughs> out more shit like he's had, been doing on Netflix over the past couple of years. So that, that'll be his magnum opus, I believe. So your number one, please, Stuart. So just read the, the cast list to Matt and see if you can guess. Sasha Baron Cohen. Not that one. Eddie Redmayne. Mark Rylance. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Michael Keaton. I know what it is. It's... Um... Oh, what's it called? Seventh, seven. Oh, what's it called? Submit. I know exactly what it is. I just the tri- remember the name of it. <laughs> the trial of the Chicago Seven. That's it. Yes. Be, I mean, I'd heard of this. I can't remember how I heard of this, but it was one of them where it had been on the list for a long time. And when Andy said, "Oh, we need the top five, and I thought, "Well, that had been so hyped up, and I'd look. It was one of them I'd look forward to sat for so long. I thought I need to get it on because I expected it to be good. Hmm. So I thought, well, it'd be unfair of me to not watch it just because it's Christmas, and I'll, I won't, I won't turn my tree on for this one. I'll watch it properly in the dark. <laughs> and I turned it on, and I was absolutely blown away by it. And I think after about half an hour, I thought, well, this is my favorite film of the year, absolutely hands down. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's just performances across the board, excellent. And yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen's not. It's not a completely dramatic. It's kind of like a exaggerated. Obviously, it's a true story, but it's it's an exaggerated performance of a real person. But it's just superb about an absolutely shocking, disgraceful act in American history, which we could say that over and over again in the last hundred and so years. But you look at IMDb and it says that the story of seven people on trials stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, which sounds as boring as fuck. Which is when you look at it, and you look at the, you look at it as the um, the poster, and it's a courtroom drama, and you think, "Oh dear," and it's something you'd see on ITV on a Sunday night, <laughs> May, mainly with some ex people from Alfida's Ain't Pet. But no, it was just I couldn't recommend it for a for a proper air quotes proper film. It's absolutely brilliant from start mm. to finish. I remember putting in our group chats after I watched it, um, like my way too early prediction for the Oscars is that Sasha Baron Cohen is going to be up for Best Supporting Actor off that film. I think him and Frank Langella, especially with the standouts. I thought Frank Langella as the the judge 
that horrible fucking just like I, I don't think I've ever felt as angry as a character <laughs> as that judge. Like he proper winds you up, and that's just a mark of what a great performance Frank yeah. Langella puts him. Yeah, and he does. So, oh, yeah, it was going to be in my honorable mention list, but when I knew you were going to put it on, I, I took it off my list. But it probably would have come sixth in my my list. Unfortunately, just missing it. Marvelous, marvelous movie. It's funny because you mentioned um, Sasha Baron Cohen, and I I was adamant that Borat would appear yeah, somewhere along the line. Um, <laughs> and then I hadn't got to mention, especially when we talked about how actually it's got quite a lot of heart. Um, but no, it's I quite like a courtroom drama, believe it or not. Yeah. But not in like the American, mm. like um, not CSI Miami, but like it's there's been a lot of shows recently. Like there was a there was a there was a series um, that Netflix had in 2020 that was about courtroom cases, but how they were handled in the media and how media had an effect yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was excellent. That was like another courtroom thing. I think they came kind of getting back into vogue at the minute. It's I mean that. That's the thing we because they're always you'll always sit there and you'll always watch them and they'll always be good, but you'll never expect it to be this good. I think that's that's the, that's where I was trying to get over with it because yeah, I mean I've, I mean the ITV thing is a bit of a joke and yeah, it is different with when they they don't have to wear silly wigs, <laughs> but yeah, um, there is something about something like this and I think the fact that it is based on true events. Again, take that with what you will, because it's obviously not 100%. But again, when things are based on true events, they're not saying that they're biographical, are they? So, mm. yeah, it's just everyone's performance is superb. And just because it is a courtroom drama and just because it is about something that happened in the 60s, don't sleep on it just for that reason. Just go, mm. go into it with an open mind and the performances of everyone are superb. So that was our top fives. Uh, we've also had some submissions from our very good friends as well. Hi there, I'm Ash, long-time listener. This is the first time I've been on the series. My top five for 2020. Um, In five, I have Vikings Season 6, but specifically Episode 7. This inclusion at number five isn't for the entire series, but for this episode, as the episode itself was the culmination of and of the arc of potentially one of the strongest female characters I've seen in television and film. And the way they portray the end of her story is some of the most beautiful storytelling and cinematography that I've had, and it leaves me speechless. In four, I have The Mandalorian Season 2, which isn't really hard to believe. I think it'll be on quite a few people's lists. It's fantastic, the different episodes, the action, Grogu, let's be honest, and Sasha Banks is in this episode, and as a long-time wrestling fan, that's always going to knock you up a few points for me. In free was, I think, something that's really been helped by the fact of the year that we've had, is Staged, starring David Tennant and Michael Sheen. Um, there's a storyline to it, which I'm not too fussed on it, but when they get talking to themselves, I'm over Zoom. The banter and the back and forth between them is unparalleled by quite a, by a lot. Um, the cameos that are in it are fantastic and unexpected. Um, and I hear they're coming for a season two, which is perfect for me. 
in at two I have Knives Out. Going into Knives Out I was apprehensive. It seemed like a Cluedo knockoff but with a decent cast. But it was it was a very funny sort of murder mystery with Daniel Craig really hamming it up. And again, I hear it's going to be a, a sequel, which I'm looking forward to. And in at one for me is the film 1914, which was released in as a um, premiere in 2019, but came out in 2020, so it counts. But for the cinematography alone, this film is just fantastic. I know that Tenant will probably feature on quite a few more lists, but 1914 for me was just fantastic. The story hit home hard. Um, it showed that there wasn't really any happy endings per se at that time, and it was just perfection for me for this year. So, yeah, that's my list. Hi, guys. Hope you're well. Um, so my top five TV slash movies of the year, a little bit different um, because of lockdown and because I had a baby, so I've not been able to watch much TV um, and I've not, well, for obvious reasons, we've not been able to go to the cinema, um, but mine she's squeezing in one film before she was born slash lockdown, so that was good. Um, so my top, top five, five, I've gone for Afterlife on Netflix with Ricky Gervais, hilarious, yet made me cry, I can see it. Um, really clever, really um, funny. I, and I think it's probably Gervais's best TV, to be honest. Um, I'd rate it over The Office, but there we go. Um, number four was Code 404 on Sky One Comedy with Stephen Graham and Daniel Mays. Hilarious. I thought it was the British version of Brooklyn 999. Um, if you haven't watched it, I don't think many people have, but if you haven't watched it, fully recommend it. If that's your kind of humour, I thought it was brilliant. And Stephen Graham, comedically, is, is ace. Number three, I've gone for The Boys. Love that show. First season was brilliant. Second season, um, exactly the same. Love how it just goes against the conventional superhero films. It's more gritty. It's obviously a lot more bloody guts. Um, kind of look Justice League if, it, you know, if this kind of situation would happen. It's brilliant. Number two, watch the film 19... Oh, was it 16 or 14? I need to Google this now, actually. <laughs> uh, war film earlier on. 1917, was it, perhaps? Let me Google it. Nothing's coming up. Might have to do this again. Come on. Um, I'm sure it's 1916. Anyway, great, great. 1917, it was 1917. Uh, it was a great film. I managed to get in there. We went to Edinburgh. Uh, we went to the cinema to watch it. Cinematically, I think it was brilliant. I love a good war film. The fact that it just followed these two lads and it was just focusing on them for the whole thing. I thought it was clever, brilliantly put together, kept you kind of interested all the time and a bit of a little bit of a ride. Uh, great film. Fully recommend that one. And then my last one will always be top TV show for me um, every year, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Hilarious. Love it. Absolutely love it. Best show on TV. Hi, this is Ray from Not Before Coffee. Though this year has been a little sparse when it comes to releases, both on TV and in the cinema, it hasn't all been doom and gloom. So when I was asked to do my top five releases for the year, it took me a good couple of hours to figure out what I had and hadn't seen. However, in the fifth spot, it has to be season two of The Legends of Monkey, if only because I loved this show growing up, the original one, 
and this gives me nostalgic feels but not only that I waited two very very long years for season two to come out and it was just as good as the first one all paranormal fantasy and everything else and it was really good fun in the fourth spot is a Disney Plus original. Wow, I'm going to miss saying Disney Channel original movie because they're not going to exist for that much longer. However, this one is The Secret Society of Second Born Royals and there is nothing like a very long title. Sometimes Disney just gives you the mindless entertainment you need and that's what you got with this film. Third place had to go to Psych 2, Lassie Come Home. I have been a really avid fan and follower of Psych for absolutely ages. In fact, a friend of mine gifted me with season one when I went to the States when it first started airing. And though this film wasn't quite as good as Psych the movie, it was a welcome visit from both Sean and Gus and I really enjoyed it. I did baited first and second place for absolutely ages. I kept on writing down the pluses and minuses and then I realised I had watched one of them several times and the other one only once. So it's for that reason that Lucifer season five part one is in second place. That might change when part two is released but they haven't yet given us a date what are they waiting for? Seriously, it's getting very frustrating because it ended on a massive cliffhanger. And all of this means that Pixar's 2020 release onward was my first pick. It made me laugh and cry, not quite in equal measure, unfortunately, and in the cinema, no less. It was the perfect medicine for this year. Hello, it's me, David Evans, back again from A Daft Question. I'm here with my top five TV shows and films for 2020. A little cheap plug just before we start. A Daft Question, we try and answer questions you never thought you needed answering. Go on your usual podcast platforms, type in A Daft Question and you'll find us there. We've just done Series 1. Series 2 is coming in 2021. Uh, My top five of 2020. And in at number five is High Score. Now this is a Netflix documentary series which looks at behind the scenes history of how some of our favourite computer games uh, in our childhood came to be and how they were made and the battles perhaps they had to go through in order to be made. It's an absolutely fascinating series on the history of some of these games. Um, Some of the episodes looks at the creation of Sonic the Hedgehog and how that broke into the market. One of the great things about the series as well is that some of the cutscenes where the people they're interviewing are explaining what happened, they create these these lovely 8-bit, 16-bit graphics, um, which tie in, uh, uh, almost modified slightly to tie into the story. And it's really nice to see, really nice to see how they layer that into what is a kind of a computer game documentary. Uh, number four, it's Extraction. Um, this is a film with Chris Hemsworth, who plays a for-hire kind of vigilante uh, rescuer, as it were, who is hired by a drug lord in India to go rescue his son, who's been captured by a rival drug lord. Uh, a fantastic film. Uh, you know, the cinematography is great. Um, some of the things I like about it, firstly, it's done by the Russo brothers, uh, who I'm a big fan of from the uh, Marvel films and also Community. Uh, one of the things 
that I thought was striking about it and they did really well, uh, which I read about afterwards, was um, a lot of the local casting was done in India. Uh, and also you got a sense when you were watching it, none of the kind of the, the cultural or social aspects of what they were doing and filming in India was Hollywoodized at all. It just felt very real. Uh, so number three is The Last Dance. Now, this is a, a documentary on Netflix which um, chronicles the last season of Michael Jordan and some of his colleagues at the Chicago Bulls um, and how it was another record-breaking season. You know, as a kid, I knew of Michael Jordan, I knew of the Chicago Bulls, I know, knew that they were superstars. Obviously, I knew of Space Jam, but I don't think I really ever appreciated um not only what a superstar uh, Jordan and the Bulls were, but what they achieved not only in basketball and in the NBA, but in world sport. And I think what was striking about the series and very inspiring was the drive, especially from Michael Jordan, to be the best, to make sure that that last season was his swan song, that they were going to break records and prove that they were the greatest team of all time and that's very much chronicled by him by his colleagues um, the methods in place to make sure that they were winners and it's, there's a great kind of cutbacks to how he got into basketball um, how he became part of the Chicago Bulls and how that winning mentality started to flood into the Chicago Bulls it's an absolutely um, terrific and fascinating series right number two and number one this is where it flipped over my mind so many times when I was putting this list together. And I just got to the point where it, this number two was very much my number one for most of the year. But recently, it's just been pipped. So, and you'll understand why when I get into it. But number two is Normal People. Now, this is a drama uh, from the BBC, which was out in about March, April time when I play it. Basically chronicles the um, the relationship between uh, a couple, Connor and Marianne, who are... Um, who are played absolutely perfectly by Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar-Jones. And it goes through um, their relationship from sixth form and through their undergraduate years. And it kind of perfectly encapsulates the mayhem and miscommunication of modern-day relationships. I think there's a lot that you watch that you can relate to. There's a lot of um, conversations about mental health, about you being in your own person and finding yourself, but also... Um, how you fit in society but also not having to fit into other people and you being your own person I think there's a lot of great themes and messages in there and I can't speak highly enough of how well it is acted especially from both uh, Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar Jones and you can tell that both of them are going to probably go on to some great things uh, but yeah number two is normal people number one just been pipped for number one for me, but um, the second series of The Mandalorian. It is an absolutely fantastic series and a fantastic version of storytelling. Um, it, you know, with, with the first series of Mandalorian, I was a fan of it, but I felt at times it was a bit slow. Uh, but this series, it just come right out the gate. It feels like Disney have gone. Here's all the money you can have in the world. Go do what you want to do with it. And... The, the clear distinction I find with the second series of Mandalorian as a big sci-fi and Star Wars geek myself is that it feels like Star Wars. It feels like the original trilogy. If you compare it to what you watch with series two, especially to the sequels, that just feels like a Disney J.J. Abrams reimagining of Star Wars, almost like a reboot. The more you watch series two of Mandalorian, the more the sequels don't feel like 
um, Star Wars, which is a shame, really. It just seems to encapsulate the original feel and aesthetic perfectly. It's paced really well. Um, it doesn't feel like scenes in this are too rushed or too slow. Everything's perfectly done. And what's so good about it as well is it's starting to bleed in some of the animated characters from the series Clone Wars and Rebels. And it's a bit of a, a payoff, really, to those dedicated fans who watch those series. Um, and it's starting to really reward those fans for their loyalty to Star Wars. And I think a lot of credit has to go to both John Favreau and Dave Filoni, especially um, on Dave Filoni, who, who made those animated series. And you just watch it and you just think, after every episode, next week's can't get better than that. And somehow the next week's episode, it is, it's just so perfectly paced. The storytelling is fantastic. The way they integrate elements from the first series, which you hadn't realised at the time they were starting a little storyline there or dropping something that would then be paid off or continued in this series, is absolutely fantastic. And although there's still some of 2020 left and there's still some episodes left, I'm sure the series is going to finish as strongly as it has started. So now we're into 2021. Is there anything in particular we're looking forward to this year? I mean, I've got a couple on my list. The Suicide Squad, they made such a hash of the first attempt at it. I'm really looking forward to seeing that movie when it finally comes out. And hopefully it's going to lead into Black Adam, I've been hearing, so we might even get The Rock in it, which... I mean, that's excellent. Uh, and speaking of wrestlers turned actors, Fast 9 is going to be hitting the screens. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Mortal Kombat's coming back, apparently. We're going to be getting a Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, Candyman, which um, Jordan Peele's movie. So I've liked everything I've seen of his so far. And obviously Edgar Wright is back in the director's chair and we're going to be getting One Night in Soho. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to a few of these uh, movies. I'm sure there'll be an our top fives come this time in 2022. Is, is there anything in particular that has caught either of you, gents eyes? Well, with your guys stellar for our first bonus pod, um, looking at the Disney slate, um, you guys did such a good job of kind of hyping up what was going on in the Disney world. I can't <laughs> wait to get like balls deep into like all of the stuff that's going on there because a lot of that stuff is stuff that I wouldn't usually give time to. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I enjoy the comic book world and I enjoy um, Star Wars, but I don't enjoy it to the level that you two do. But mm. the way that you guys describe it and like, I've got, I've got no choice but to, cause it, you know, it sounds really exciting. So I'm looking forward to the, getting into that world a little bit more. And, and you know, I'll probably Disney plus will probably get a few quid out of me in 2021. Yeah, I mean, one of the films I remember us mentioning, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, I, I didn't really know anything about it, but now I've heard a few bits, and actually I'm quite looking forward to that one. I think there's going to be some surprise sleeper hits out there, hopefully. Yeah. Stu, uh, what have you got your eye on? We to, yeah, we have to set the record straight for not mentioning Willow a few weeks ago. Because of the, oh, God, yes. The Willow, T- Willow TV series, just mental. But That's probably not going to be 2021. But yeah, the, most of them are kind of ones that have slipped from 2020 because of what happened. So Ghostbusters Afterlife, just because it doesn't look... Oh, God, I forgot. I'd completely Exactly forgot. what I mean. You, you, we had all these things wrote down for ages, and then they just got cancelled and moved. Um, you got Ghostbusters Afterlife. you got the June remake as well, which, again, mm-hmm. doesn't yep. doesn't look shit. 
amazingly. <laughs> Big Dave Batista. Yeah. Um, a Quiet Place 2. Yeah. Which we were both really looking fans forward of the first to one. Yeah. Um, Anything from Liblant. Mr. Trick. Should have been called A Quieter Place, but there we go. Yeah, of course he should. <laughs> I'd die harder. Um, <laughs> and apart from Bond, whenever, if, well, that could be 2022, who knows? Um, but strangely, the Uncharted movie, just because mm, yeah. it, for everything you hear about it, well, up until this point, and the, the, the photos that we've seen of Tom Holland, it looks like it could be fun, it, and not you you a bowl fun, an act, actual proper film. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that have been delayed from this year that's just just pushed along. So, I think if we do get cinemas back this year, <laughs> or we have a kind of alternative to just nicking them off the internet, then as long as we can watch it properly, then it could be. But for film wise, it could be the best year ever. Yeah, a bold statement. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I say, like we've got films that have been pushed back, and we've got films that would have been slated for 2021 anyway. So, like, we're going to double up this year. We That's might have ring. to do a top ten when we get to it next year, just to fit it all in. Right. So, after the absolute shit show that has been 2020, we're going to start off 2021 by trying to have a bit of a laugh, and we're going to look at some comedy cage capers. First up, we're going to be watching Raising Arizona and Trapped in Paradise. Now, I've got to be honest, I've never even heard of Trapped in Paradise before. So when we watch that, that will be for the first time ever. Raising Arizona, I haven't seen for about 20 years. So I'm kind of intrigued how that one's going to have aged. I'm looking forward to that one, Mm. especially, I think. Yeah, exactly the same situation. Mm. (laughs) Identical. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. pretty much uh, echo that. To be fair, I think I've seen it once a long time ago, and I haven't seen it since. I couldn't tell you anything about it, but um, should be good. Should be good to to kick the year off with a bit of comedy. Yeah, I think after twenty twenty, we need something light hearted to uh, to get our feet back under the table and get going. So please make sure that you follow us on the Twitter and get your emails into cagefightingpod at gmail dot com. Make sure you've got us subscribed on whatever podcatcher you're using. And whilst you're there, please leave a five-star review as it would really help us grow this year. And that's what we really want to do. So for the first time in 2021, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourself. Stay safe. Stuart, would you like to say goodbye? Sayonara. And it's goodbye from me. And let's start this year off right. And please be excellent to each other. We'll be right back.